I'm 32 years old and I was in my very early teens when I first heard about Brazil's need for a pension reform. It was 1998 and then President Fernando Henrique Cardoso tried to overhaul the country's social security framework. Cardoso had just won re-election without even needing a runoff, but he faced fierce opposition. Não há dinheiro. Ninguém faz reforma de previdência, eu imagino sendo presidente por maldade, faz porque não tem jeito, tem que fazer. His administration suffered multiple losses in Congress and the reform ended up passing nearly four years later. And by that point, it wasn't much of a reform, rather a tweak that only postponed the problem. Cardoso's successor, Lula, also tackled the pension system, but in a much less ambitious way. He focused on public servants who earn more money than most and have better benefits upon retirement. After four months of congressional battles, general strikes, violent protests, the government did manage to pass something. Eu não posso, sabe, fugir do limite do bom senso, pro bem deles. Porque se a previdência quebrar, será mal para todos os brasileiros. Once again, however, it did not solve the problem. It only bought the country some time. A couple of years ago, Michel Temer presented his own pension reform, but after successive corruption scandals, he lost much of his political capital and the bill was butchered in Congress, not even making it to a vote. Now the Jair Bolsonaro administration has submitted a reform proposal of its own, and it is the most ambitious we've seen, or the harshest, depending on how you see it. Will this administration be able to succeed where so many others failed? That's what we will be discussing this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Natalis Causareto, welcome to our podcast. It's your first time here, right? Hello, Gustavo. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Before discussing President Jair Bolsonaro's proposal for the pension system, I'd like us to talk about the current system. What's wrong with it? Well, Brazil currently uses a pay-as-you-go model. Essentially, that means the active workers pay for the pensions of retired ones. When you have a large and young population, that's manageable. But it doesn't work as the country gets older and older. So Brazil's demographic boom is essentially over. Life expectancy is going up while birth rates are going down. And this has a lot to do with the increasing role of Brazilian women in labor market and better life conditions. And if fewer people are being born? Then the country gets older. In 20 years, Brazil will have more elderly citizens than it will have children. In 2060, one in every four people in Brazil will be 65 years or older, meaning that there won't be enough people to pay for retirement pensions. But the pension system problem isn't in the near future. I mean, there's already a huge deficit. And just last year, losses from the system peaked at 186 billion reais or 50 billion dollars. Yeah, but the problem is not only about how much money goes on pensions, but also how this money is distributed. For instance? Civil servants and the military are the biggest strains on the system. For every urban private worker, there's a deficit below 2,000 reais. For retired military officers, though, the deficit per capita is 60 times higher. And why is that discrepancy? 
Both civil servants and the military retire earning full pensions that match their last salaries, which is obviously higher than the average salary over the length of their careers. So they are contributing less than what they're taking from the system. And what is the impact of that on Brazil's federal budget? In 2016, Brazil approved an austerity package that essentially froze the federal budget for 20 years. So unless the government increases its revenue, which is not happening anytime soon with Brazil's ailing economy, then the money for pensions has to come from somewhere else. Right now, 55% of the federal government's spending is on pensions. The budget for 2019 allocates three times more money to pensions than it does to education. That's how bad it is. If nothing is done, the pension system could swallow up to 82% of the budget by 2024. The reform is also important to regain confidence in Brazil. It is a sign for investors that the government is actually doing something to treat fiscal issues in a more responsible and sustainable way. That's why the market wants it so badly. And that's not even mentioning what happens at the state level, right? Yeah, many states are bankrupt and are no longer able to pay for the retired servants' pensions. Rio is like a classic case. Natalia, a couple of years ago, the core of Brazil's left denied that there was even any deficit with the pension system. Are we past that point at least? I mean, I mean, one thing is to argue if Jair Bolsonaro's pension reform bill is the best. And the whole different thing is to say that no reform is necessary whatsoever. Well, not entirely. But the debate has been evolving. During last year's electoral campaign, even the Workers' Party admitted the social security system needed a tweak. In general, the left has remained reasonably quiet about the bill. Which means that there's a sort of consensus about it. The problem is more like how to make it. What do you mean? Reforms such as this is only possible by amending the constitution. That means it needs to be approved in two votes in each congressional house. And it takes 60% of yes to get it passed. But President Bolsonaro has a lot in his favor. He's got popular support, even if his coalition is messy, as we covered in our last podcast. But party leaders actually want the reform. He has also room to negotiate, which was something President Temer, our former president, lost after being involved in corruption scandals. So let's talk about what's in that famous bill. Some pundits have called February 20th Jair Bolsonaro's real inauguration. That's when he presented his long-awaited pension reform bill. In a nutshell, here are the main changes that come with it. There will be a minimum retirement age, 65 for men, 62 for women. Nowadays, people can go into retirement after 30 or 35 years in the labor market, regardless of their age. Brazil will leave its pay-as-you-go system and may move to a capitalization one, meaning that each worker will save money from his or her own pension. That money will go into a fund and can be withdrawn when the person qualifies for retirement. Full pensions will only be paid after 40 years of services. Anything less than that and pensioners will only receive a portion of their retirement benefits. 
For lower-income senior citizens that haven't contributed for a long enough time, benefits will be cut in half to $400. Reais. That's just north of $100 and less than half of Brazil's minimum wage. And it would match the minimum salary once they reach 70 years old. State agents will face harsher rules than they have now, with their contribution rates going as high as 22%. For a detailed analysis of these changes to the pension system, we reached out to economist Monica De Bolli. She's a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics and the director for Latin American Studies and Emerging Markets at Johns Hopkins University. My first question was if President Jair Bolsonaro's statement was accurate when he called the reform a way to end privileges in Brazil's very unequal pension system. It's partially accurate. So the the way that the, this pension reform has been structured differently from the pension reform that was done under Temer, um, so the previous administration in Brazil, it does try to address these issues of you know creating more inequality that the current system creates by providing these excessively generous benefits to people who don't need it. So it does try to address that. And, and in that respect, you know, um, it goes it goes in the direction that the president was mentioning. One other thing that this pension reform is doing is that it's creating um, contribution brackets. So different, different contribution brackets for people who earn within a given range. So, and it's making those contributions progressive. So in other words, those people who earn the most are going to contribute the most, and those people who, who earn the least are going are to pay the least. So they have structured the contribution scales in that way, and that also goes in the direction that, that the president was mentioning. But? But by the way that it's been structured, it's also saying that, okay, for people to receive 100% of the benefit that they're due once they retire, they have to be in the labor market for 40 years. That's a big problem. For, for a country as unequal as Brazil, because usually what happens is that the poor or the lower middle classes, you know, those who are more disadvantaged on the income distribution side of things, um, normally are people who are employed in very precarious jobs. They go in and out of the labor force constantly throughout their lifetime. They're often unemployed for long periods of time, and then they can't contribute or you know they're they're informally employed and thus you know they could contribute but then they're not receiving their full benefits because the employer is not contributing because they're in the informal market so the employer doesn't have to do anything a major risk consultancy said that there's a 70% chance of the pension reform passing which is kind of odd as the answer to that question is not so simple it's less about whether the reform will pass and more about which reform Congress will approve. How watered down can the reform get? We don't really have a parameter to judge this, but let me try to put this in context. Temer, the previous president, when he, when he put his reform, which was less ambitious than this one, when he presented his reform, that reform got watered down by half. So that reform initially was proposing um, to have s fiscal savings of roughly, you know, in terms of GDP, they would amount to fiscal savings of roughly about 11%, 11.5% of GDP over a period of 20 years. Um, after all was said and done, so when it went through this whole process in Congress, 
What came out of it was a reform that had been diluted to savings of only about 6% of GDP over the same time period. So it was really doing nothing and it didn't pass um, for, for other reasons. Bolsonaro is already facing an uphill battle when it comes to Congress because of his lack of negotiating skills plus a base that's completely disorganized. Reforms are always unpopular and congressmen are already anticipating next year's municipal elections, which makes it imperative for the government to approve the reform this year. If it stalls until 2020, things will get much tougher. So, what can the government give up when negotiating with Congress? On the private sector side, the government has created these three options for people to transition from the old system to the new system. And in principle, people or, or workers are going to have a choice over which of these three options they want to take up. I think there's room to m make these options more flexible. So this may be one area that, that the government may be willing to, you know, give up a bit. The other area where I think inevitably they're going to have I think they're going to be forced to give up on is this idea that the 40 years to receive your full benefit is going to apply to everyone. I think there, you know, there, there's, there's going to be a lot of pressure to have what is current, what is in the current system, which is, you know, for, for people who come in and out of the labor market consistently because they're, you know, very low income because they have precarious jobs and all, you know, the other stuff that I was talking about before. Um, currently, what they need at a minimum is 15 years of, of continuous contribution. And then even if they don't have that, they have access to a special fund to complement their pensions. So I think for, for certain, for, for that bottom part of the income distribution, I'm guessing this system is going to have to be reinstituted somehow. And I think the government is willing to give on that, too. Um, the reason why the government is probably willing to give on that is that it doesn't amount to a lot of money. So they wouldn't be giving up a lot of savings if they did. And it would be a good thing. It would be a positive thing. It would make the reform more palatable. It would make the reform you know, more progressive in the sense that they've been um, you know, making the case for the reform in the first place. Are there any other delicate points? The government has instituted a minimum retirement age for teachers in this reform. And it's quite crucial that they do this because there has to be, you, know, you have to level the playing field for everyone. If there's going to be a minimum retirement age, you know, there's got to be a minimum retirement age for everybody. The teachers um, lobbies and, and, and you know, special and, and interest groups in Brazil are very strong, as they are everywhere. And so this is going to be a, a, a big fight, I think, for, for the government. And the government's going to have to be very skillful in order to maintain, you know, the, 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 the minimum re retirement age for, teacher, for teachers. The same goes for, the, for, for police officers and for other classes of civil servants. This is now looking at the civil servant side for, for the, the other classes of public servants that um, have now will face minimum retirement ages, whereas before they didn't. So these are the parts that I don't think the government is willing to concede but they're going to have a, lot, a, a big, tough fight ahead of them. You mentioned law enforcement agents, and there's the military. They haven't been included in the reform, with the government promising to present another project just for the armed forces in the future. They'll probably have to fulfill their promise, because Congress has indicated it won't vote on anything until the military are affected too. We have 
a bunch of generals, a bunch of colonels, a bunch of former military and current actually military officers in this government. And that might be certainly one reason why the military were not included, but there's another reason. The military actually have a separate pension legislation um, that covers them. So and this pension reform is a constitutional amendment. So the, the military pension reform doesn't have to be, it, it doesn't need to be a constitutional amendment. It can be just a separate piece of legislation. They've promised that they will do something to the military. So they will present legislation as well on how to fix the military pension system to make it, you know, to align it at least with the objectives of the broad pension reform by constitutional amendment that they need to do. So to be seen if they do that or not. This reform, though, might not resolve the problem. Could it only have bought us some time? The whole of the pension system, if you want to tweak something or if you want to adjust something, you need to come up with another constitutional amendment. This is massively complicated because it's going to go through several commissions and then it has to pass two votes in each house. So it has to pass four votes, two in the lower house, two in the Senate. So to prevent that in the future, you know, future adjustments that might be needed to the current pension system, what this reform is including in the amendment that's being that that's gone to Congress is um, clauses by which, you know, the future adjustments could be made not by constitutional amendment, but by ordinary legislation, which just makes the process a lot simpler. So put differently, if in the future, it comes to be the case that, you know, this reform was insufficient somehow, or that it needs to be adjusted in this area or that area, we won't need another constitutional amendment to do this. We could just do it by ordinary legislation, which is really a very positive thing if we move in that direction. Monica, thank you very much. The subject will remain at the top of the political agenda for months, and we hope to have you back to discuss further developments. I think we will have a lot more issues to cover going forward because this is just the beginning, right? This is the beginning of a, of a much bigger discussion about, you know, what's going to happen, what are the tweaks that people are going to want, what are the changes that, the, the, that society, governors, Congress, you know, the different stakeholders, what are the, the demands that they're going to make? Um, I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation that, that we ought to have, and I will be very happy to participate um, in future podcasts with you. I'm a fan of the podcast, so thank you very much for having me. Monica Dibolli is a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics and the director for Latin American Studies and Emerging Markets at Johns Hopkins University. You can follow her very informative Twitter feed. Her handle is at B-O-L-L-E-M-D-B. B-O-L-L-E-M-D-B. If you like this podcast, please show us some love and rate us on whatever platform you use for listening to podcasts. It's really important for us. And don't forget to take a look at our website, it's brazilian.report. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance, and society. We also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 7 days, and it's really for free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. 
You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week.